anyone pick up on the common thread that ran through all the songs that Nathaniel led? They all spoke of where? They all took us where in our minds and our hearts? To heaven or especially the return of Christ. And that is spiritually refreshing to think about Christ's return. And that's exactly what we're going to address this morning. The songs are no accident. Nathaniel's really good about once he gets a sermon title and theme to uh, build his songs around that. And I appreciate him doing that this morning without me even asking uh, to do so. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I think this is the best theme perhaps among many good themes to talk about as we approach this new year, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We just focused upon uh, the birth of Jesus, what is sometimes called the incarnation, that is God becoming man, and rightfully are we to do so. Um, scripture honors the fact that God became man and joined us, or became flesh as John says, and joined us in this earth to then live and die for our sins. Scripture honors that. But if we look at things that Scripture tells us to focus on, it clearly tells us to focus upon the death of Christ, the sacrificial death of Christ, because we don't go anywhere without that. We are dead in the water without the death of Jesus Christ for us. But that event paves the way for us being ready to go when Christ returns. Uh, or when Christ returns. And this is an area where Scripture clearly tells us to focus our attention. In fact, in our first verses this morning, we're just going to look at one text after another where early Christians are told either by the Apostle John or by the Apostle Paul, or we'll look at a text where Jesus himself tells his disciples to focus upon his return and then live their lives accordingly. So this morning we're going to try to figure out how to do that, first of all, to see what we're to look at and what we're to prepare for, but then to see how we prepare. How, how should we be ready to go if there's a stirring within us? And is it my time to come? And things like that, because Scripture tells us that Jesus could return in our lifetime. He very well could in this very moment. He hasn't, but he could. So we need to be ready to go. But we live in a time where as Michael alluded in his words, we're told to focus on everything else but the imminent return of Christ. We are literally consumed in our culture now with temporal things. Uh, the here and now, whether it be political concerns, health concerns, safety, security, wellness, all things that are important. None of us want to get the virus. None of us want to be robbed. We all want our political party to be prominent and things like that, none of that is wrong. We should want to stay alive. We should want to stay healthy and keep others healthy. But these are all limited temporal concerns. And if you watch the news long enough, you'll be consumed by things that really don't have eternal consequence. And our eyes can be taken off the stirring that should be within us. That is the return of Christ. And our minds can forget altogether that Christ is coming back and that there's an eternal home that he's looking to take us to. So we're going to, at the beginning of this year, simply focus upon the imminent return of Christ. If you could go ahead and bring that back up, uh, Nathaniel. What I mean by imminent is not that it's going to happen right away. That's really not what the word imminent means. 
The word imminent means it could happen at any moment. You're always ready. That's what something that is imminent means. It could happen and you need to be ready because it will happen. It's just a matter of when. Let's just look through some texts. The first one will be Acts chapter 9, verse 9 through 11. These texts, most of them will be up on the screen. I'll be reading each one of them if you just want to listen to them or do you want to read along with me. But here, uh, the physician Luke, as he writes about the life of Christ in an orderly fashion, both in Luke's and Acts, here is writing about what was said right before Jesus ascends back into heaven. He'd been resurrected, spent about 40 days upon the earth, showing himself alive as Luke says later, showing by many infallible proofs his resurrection. But now he's leaving his immediate circle of disciples. But notice what he says in verses 9 through 11. Or what is said by Luke about what just happened when Jesus went back into the air. It says verse 9, After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, what are the next words? Will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven this is the great promise he ascends into heaven but the angelic beings here say the same jesus that you've seen go into he's going to come back the same way from the sky he will come back there is our hope he will come back let's see how this is picked up in other places first corinthians uh, chapter one i'm sorry chapter four verse five here the Apostle Paul is talking about his own apostleship and uh, the solidity of that is given to him by Jesus. In verse 5 he says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord what? Wait till the Lord comes. So here that was part of their anticipation. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So here, early Christians were told to anticipate a certain time when the Lord comes. And he says, at that time, each will receive their praise from God. The idea that there is reward coming, there is a culmination of God's purpose that begins with the return of Christ. I want to look at one now that's not on the screen, but simply it's in 1 Corinthians. We read it all the time, but we may not notice it as much. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you can just listen to this. I, I read it after I put this all together. I tell Nathaniel, I send things to him at the last minute because I'm always thinking of something. But I thought about what is often read at the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at how long we're to take the Lord's Supper. You're probably thinking of the answer already. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup, this is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. you proclaim the Lord's death, you know how this goes, the end of it, until he comes. So we continue to do this until he returns. So we see this is at the forefront of the minds of early believers because they were taught that it should be. 
Let's go on to other texts. First Thessalonians now, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Here Paul is talking about his desire to see the Thessalonian, uh, Thessalonican Christians again. Uh, he says in verse 18 he'd been hindered by Satan. But then he says in verse 19 about his relationship with them. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus? And what's the next? When he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Here he's talking about how important these believers are to him and the others. He said, you're our glory and crown. And he says, don't we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? It's like this is always being added is part of the key focal point of their thinking, that the Lord is coming and that all attention needs to be there when he comes. Let's look at another text now, another apostle, 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Here the apostle John is talking about what we will look like when Christ returns. And he basically says we don't for sure know what we'll look like other than we'll look like him. And in verse Two, he says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him, we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Notice here there's this the understanding here that when Christ appears, not if he appears. It's never a question of if he's going to appear. It's always a question of when. When Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him. Here this is a common theme. We shall see him in the, uh, as he is. And then verse 3 again, all who have this hope in him purify themselves. At the end of this lesson, we're going to talk about how our lives are changed because of this truth. But here's a glimpse into that reality that we don't just look and wait. We arrange our lives accordingly. All who have this hope purify themselves. We are ready to go when Christ returns. Let's look at another text. Two more before we get into our, uh, our short points about uh, how we live and lie this truth that John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Uh, here Jesus himself talks about his return. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. You hear a familiar text. John 14, Jesus' own words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I what? I will come back. I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. 
So here we have Jesus' own words. We've seen the words of the Apostle Paul. We've seen the words of the Apostle John. Uh, with Paul, we saw it in different places, in different letters. We saw it in Luke's writing of the historical beginnings of Christianity, him alluding to uh, the angels saying, uh, you will see him again. This is clearly a solid, confirmed teaching of Scripture. Another one now, Titus chapter 2. Uh, Titus was um, a young evangelist, kind of like Timothy. The Apostle Paul wrote two letters to Timothy and one letter to Titus because they were preaching in different areas. But in both letters, the Apostle Paul tells these evangelists, here's what you're to be teaching. And notice here, once again, the presence of the return of Christ being central to what they're to teach and expect. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Paul tells Titus, For the grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, verse 13 now, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There could not be a more clearly presented theme in Scripture, perhaps, than the imminent return of Jesus Christ. It's said repeatedly. It's said in different texts by different authors and said by Jesus himself. So our goal then is to understand what are we to do with this truth? What are we to do with this truth to shape our lives, especially in a culture that wants us to focus on things that are happening right now and things of limited concern? We're all wrapped up in the coronavirus right now and what could be the next variant and things like that. I saw on ABC News uh, on our social media page, apparently there's a new fungus in Europe we've got to worry about pretty soon. I'm not kidding you. Uh, they will always keep these things in front of us because it keeps them going. They're real, but it keeps them going, but it keeps us very earth-centered. These truths keep us centered upon our eternal home, as these songs of Daniel uh, let us uh, appropriately do. Keep us focused on the biggest and greatest concern. The hymns of old said there's a great day coming. Remember that hymn, Michael, growing up with that? There's a great day coming, a great day. We don't sing those songs anymore. We did today. And a lot of the newer songs that capture it so well. But this idea of a great day coming, let's look at four essential truths to this great day coming. Number one, Jesus promised his return as his apostles did. We looked at these two texts already. I just want to highlight a couple things. Jesus promised his return as did his apostles. I want to focus on just the idea of this being a promise, a promise to us. We live in a world of broken promises. We have politicians that campaign on one platform, but yet when they get into office, they do something different often. We have people that are in close personal relationship to us that promise to be there and often fail to be there when we need them. They said they would call, and they never called. They said they would write, 
We haven't got the letter yet. We have bosses that said they'd come through for us, the raise. Or the promotion is right around the corner. Or landlords that said the rent would stay the same, but it goes up. Or said, oh yeah, you can live here as long as you want, but all of a sudden there's family that need to move in to right where you're living. We live in a world where we can't really depend on a whole lot. If there's one thing the coronavirus has taught us, we can't depend a whole lot. I've been vaccinated three times. I anticipate many more booster shots. <laughs> um, we live in a world where we can't trust in a whole lot. But here our Savior, in whom we put our trust completely, has made us a promise that he will return. He told his disciples in John 14, I will come back. And we can rest on this promise just like we can rest on the promise when he says he forgives us of our sins, that we'll be resurrected one day, we'll be given a new body. We can put our assurance in this truth just like we have those other truths. That one day we'll be transported from this world, whether as someone who's alive when Christ returns or someone who died as described as asleep in Jesus, that will be raised first, we'll see in just a moment in certain texts. This is a promise that we can count on. Jesus is faithful. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 13, verse 5, he, um, he will never leave us, nor forsake us. He will never not keep his word. And just as we can trust in other truths, we can trust in this truth as well. You can build your life around this promise. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, again, Paul tells Titus, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice here in verse 13 of Titus, he doesn't say, while we wait around. There's a difference between waiting and waiting around. Here the idea of waiting is that we're waiting in anticipation. We're looking forward to something coming and we have all things ready. And what we're waiting for is the appearing of the glory of our great God. That is everything we've hoped for, everything we've built our lives around, everything we've prioritized. It's going to materialize one day. Because it's been promised to us by Jesus. And we wait for this. Jesus promised it and the apostles promised it. There is no more solid foundation for our lives. That is the first truth about the return of Christ that we need to build our lives upon. Here's the second. His return will be experienced by everyone. Go to the second one, Nathaniel. Got ahead of me a little bit, unless I put it that way. There we go. Um, his return will be experienced by everyone. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. By the way, if you're looking for an area of Scripture to give a lot of attention to the return of Christ, look at 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 1 and 2 Peter, especially 2 Peter. Constant references to the return of Christ and also extended passages of scripture because these were the, the or this was the subject area that 
those Christians need the most help with. They were concerned uh, what their bodies would be like when Christ returned, whether or not people who had died would be part of Christ's return and a resurrection. So Paul addresses it in 1 Thessalonians, and Peter also addresses it in 2 Peter. But let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. We want to see that his return will be experienced by everyone. His return was not just some private appearance to a small group of people in some remote part of the world. That is not the way Scripture presents the return of Christ. Let me say that again. Scripture does not present the return of Christ as some private experience in some remote part of the world that only a certain group has access to. Scripture consistently presents the return of Christ as being experienced by everyone, but it will be experienced differently. It will be experienced by everyone. Everyone will see him. But they will experience something different that is where they will go at the return of Christ differently. Let's see how this is brought out. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Let's just pause here. Here Paul is saying here that even those who have already died in the Lord, and that's who they were concerned about. What about our, our relatives who have died in Christ and did they miss the return of Christ? And Paul's saying, no, they're going to participate. In fact, they're going to be raised to life first. They're going to be put in the first of the line uh, when Christ returns. Verse 15, according to the Lord's will, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, there it is, till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, here's what that day is going to be like when Christ returns, or that moment. For the Lord himself, will come down from heaven with a loud command, that's audible, a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Let's just pause here, verse 16. So the Lord's going to come from heaven. That's how the return's going to happen. Remember back in Acts chapter 1, you'll see him coming just like you saw him going. They saw Jesus ascending into heaven, the apostles. Now he's going to come back in the clouds the same way he ascended. But notice here it's going to be very loud. It says, with a loud command in the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God. I don't really know how to fully capture this. But I've heard large orchestras blast the horn section. And I imagine how attention-getting that is, that will be something that will happen on the day Christ returns. The intention of this text is that everyone's going to hear it. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. 
prophets and one of the mightiest of all angels is going to speak forth. And that implies it's going to be something that captures all's attention, not just a small group somewhere. The trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then in verse 17, after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together. So first the dead in Christ rise first. Then if we're still alive when Christ comes back, we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. So we're going up with them to meet the Lord where? In the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So here, this text indicates the idea of something on a large scale happening and not some private event, just a certain group. That's the main point. There's a lot of things to look at, but it's going to be a big event. I want to just look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 real quick. It's not on the screen, but then we'll look at 2 Thessalonians. Let's just continue down because the teaching continues. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Now, brothers and sisters, about, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Verse 4, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. We'll just stop here. My main point in just looking at these verses is there's the idea that some are going to be anticipating the return of Christ and be ready to go and prepared, but then there's some that are going to be caught off guard. They're saying peace and safety, all is well, don't worry about anything. And this is going to come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. This is a text that implies that the return of Christ will be experienced by everyone, but differently. Some are going to be <clears throat> taken into their heavenly home once they experience the judgment, as we all will experience. But then others will immediately find out it's too late. The point is this, this is not just, again, some private event just for people that are already saved, and that's all that are going to experience this. The dead are going to experience it, the alive are going to experience it, the unbelieving alive and the believing alive are going to all experience it, but they will experience it differently. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians now. Uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, to see the same point. Whenever you see things said repeatedly in Scripture... And in different places that you can have a lot of confidence that this is something that you can really sink your spiritual teeth into is being solid truth because it's said consistently and it's being said repeatedly. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. We'll start with verse 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Verse 6. God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. We'll just stop here. Paul is writing to Christians who are being persecuted by non-believers because of their faith. 
And basically, Paul's making the point here that one day the persecutors are going to receive the righteous judgment of God. But notice when it's going to happen. It's going to happen at the return of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. That's the return. In blazing fire with his powerful angels. Again, that's not a hidden event. This is something all will experience. Verse 8 now. Verse 8. And he will punish those who do not know God. And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Verse 10, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony. So again, the point we're looking at is his return will be experienced by everyone. It's designed for believers to receive the culmination of all that they've invested their lives in. And all that God has invested in them. But for those who, Paul says, have not obeyed the gospel. And who have rejected God, it will be experienced differently. That will be the beginning of their punishment. That will be the beginning of their punishment. So once again, this day will be experienced by everyone. <clears throat> you could almost say this is an all-inclusive event. We live in a world where people are, feel left out. We live in a world where people feel left out. Some feel left out racially. Some feel left out because of their gender. Some feel left out because of their social class that they live in. And many feel like they're not included because they have no control over certain things. Whether it be their skin color, their class, the group they were born into. But here, how people experience the return of Christ is within their control. There's no one that's going to be excluded from this event. But how they participate in it will be very different based on how they experienced or based upon what they chose in their life. They chose to follow, follow God and they chose to be receptive to God and to follow either the leadings of their conscience or the direct teachings of Scripture. And they allowed their life to go towards God and they sought after Him. They were a truth seeker. They're going to experience everything they were seeking. But if someone was always rejecting the message of God, they didn't want to hear anything about Christ. They always wanted their radio turned off when they talked about Jesus. Well, they didn't want to hear anyone talk about it at a family get-together. They didn't want to go to any church assembly. They didn't want a Bible around all, at any time. <clears throat> They're going to simply receive on the day that Christ returns what they chose. A rejection by God because they rejected Him all along. But they aren't going to miss the event. They are not going to miss the event. It will be experienced by everyone. Number three. His return will bring the end of the world and the judgment day. And this 
is a monumental event. Christ returns. That's why scripture gives it so much attention. Christ is going to return. This is the culmination of his plan. The culmination of God's eternal purpose begins with the return of Christ. Those who are saved, whether dead or alive, will be taken up to meet him in the air. Those who are unsaved because of their choice and rejecting God deliberately, they're going to realize this is the worst moment of their lives because they've chose a reaction that rejects God. And look how this event of the return of Christ will continue to culminate. Second Peter now, chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. We're going to focus now upon what happens to the planet. What happens to the earth when Christ returns? Because again, this helps us to focus our investment in this world. This helps us understand how we should prioritize things. Because we have a lot of priorities, but what should be at the top of the list? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 here, Peter will talk about the day of the Lord, but he will look at it from a different emphasis. Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Peter writes this. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Verse 2. I want you to recall, uh, recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is his coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Just stop here, by the way. Notice what two events are confirmed, creation and the flood. Peter's referring to them as actual historical events, not myth. Verse 6, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. There's the flood again. By the same word, <clears throat> the present heavens and earth. That's our planet we live on and the sky above us. The present heavens and earth are reserved for what? Fire. Being kept for the day of judgment. And destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing dear friends. <clears throat> With the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow. In keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Instead he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. Verse 10 now. But the day of the Lord, that's the return, the day of the Lord, <clears throat> will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it 
will be laid bare. Let's just stop here. We'll save verses 12 through 14 for our last point. But notice here that in the return of Christ, you will find that not only is Christ returning to gather his people, but his return will also also under in or usher in, I'm sorry, the end of the planet. The purpose of this planet is for the people that are on the planet. <clears throat> the purpose of the planet is for the people. So when the people have been taken from the planet, there is no use for the planet anymore. So it simply says it's reserved for fire and destruction. The point is not to scare us and to horrify us. It's simply to do what Jesus taught. Do not let, lay up your treasures where? On earth. Because once Jesus comes back, there is no reason for the earth to exist in its present form any longer. And with no uncertain language, it says the heavens will disappear with a roar. <clears throat> the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. There are no longer any people on the planet. All have been raised for the judgment. Some raised for the resurrection of life to go into the eternal home. Others, the resurrection of judgment and condemnation because of their choice. But there are no people left on the planet. There's no one in the graves. The planet will cease to exist as we know it. This will all happen at the return of Jesus Christ and subsequent judgment. Which again calls into question how we see our planet. And we all want to live in security. We all want to live and breathe clean air. We want to have a clean planet. We want it protected. We want to protect the beautiful creatures that God has made. And those should be a priority, but they should not be the greatest priority. If the Creator has not said that this planet needs to live forever, our emphasis undue emphasis to try to make it such may not be well placed. We want to protect it, tend and care for it, as Adam was told in the Garden of Eden, he was told to tend it, to care for it, but not to protect it as if it's sacred and it's going to last forever. The Lord will take care of that. Our emphasis should be on where we will be once the planet is destroyed. Our concern should be that we be with him and meet him in the air and together forever be with the Lord. That should be our place where we'll be after the planet is destroyed. I want to look back at just one text here before our final point. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5, just to connect this thought of there's judgment involved in this return that also involves the destruction of the planet. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5, <clears throat> uh, Peter says of those who've been against God, it says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The theme of the judgment of all people, including the people of God, the return of Christ, and the final judgment, again, are always together in Scripture. They might take place in an order, but they're always considered in the same event. Christ's return 
the resurrection of all people to either life or death, but then the judgment that explains why they will go to those destinies, and then the eternal home are all considered within one section and not separated by other events or other time periods or happening in different sections of time. They are always considered together. His return will bring the end of the world in Judgment Day. Our last point, and then we're finished. Jesus' return changes everything. Our last text will be 2 Peter chapter 3, just verses 11 through 14. We've looked at what's going to happen. We looked at how often the truths are said and, and how consistent they are through Scripture. Here's how that changes our life. Verses 11 through 14, 2 Peter, chapter 3. Here's how our lives are changed. Verse 11. Peter says, since everything will be destroyed. So I'm at the planet. <clears throat> In this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Here Peter focuses on how we respond to the imminent return of Christ. Think about how we've responded to the coronavirus. We've made sure we have personal protection equipment. I have so many, uh, so many of these, I don't know what to do with them. Um, they're all over the place, at school, at home, in the car, in my pockets. They, come, they, they leave and then they come back, but I've got them everywhere. We have fans blowing. We know to sit apart. We know to get vaccinated. We know to socially distance. We are well suited for taking on the virus because we want to be prepared because none of us want to get it. Or if we do get it, we want to minimize its effect. We are, we are responding correctly. And what Peter is saying here is we need to respond correctly to the imminent return of Christ, just like we are responding correctly to the coronavirus that's around us. He asks the question again in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, first of all, as we said earlier, don't lay up treasure here on this earth. It's all going to be gone. <clears throat> We should invest in things that are eternal. And that's why he says here, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Go ahead and go back to point four, Nathaniel, there. <clears throat> Here's the three things that Jesus' return does as far as changes everything. It rearranges our priorities. We don't lay up treasure on earth we don't invest in things that are going to be burned up later. We take care of ourselves. We live responsibly. We plan for retirement. We don't sell everything right now and just sit on the front lawn. That's not part of Scripture. But we don't overdo it with things that really will not matter. We 
rearrange our priorities. But we also feel and know that there is a call for personal purity. We have to be ready to go. And what the apostles say means being ready to go is you purify your lives. He says, again, what kind of people ought you to be? Live holy and godly lives. Holy means separate and set apart for God. You live ready to go. You don't allow yourself to be entangled in a sin that has you all distracted and destroyed both in body and mind. You work on things that are a problem, that create undue attention to the wrong places or the wrong people. Recently, when Elise and I flew to Hawaii, when they make that gate announcement, all right, we will take group number one and any pre-boarding people, all of us that are sitting around, what do we do? All right, we put our phones away, we take our earbuds out, and we get our stuff around. If we're eating, we put that away, and we're all ready to go for our, our number to be called. If my feet were sitting up on the other chair, I take them off. <laughs> if I'm reading a book, I close it. If I'm on the internet scrolling, I, I stop because I want to be ready to go for when our number is called, so I join the group I'm supposed to be on to board the plane. That's being ready to go. I'm purifying my presence there in the airport to be ready to go because I don't want to be left behind. Because that almost happened one time. <clears throat> I was sitting in a little restaurant in the terminal eating a hamburger, and they called my group. I had to leave everything there, and I bolted, and I just made it because I wasn't paying attention. When we purify our lives, we get rid of sin, we deal with anything that's distracting, that's not part of God's plan or purpose for our life, we're preparing for the return of Christ. Again, it says here, we ought to live holy and godless lives as we look forward to the day of God and its coming. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. He doesn't say you're going to be perfect. But we should be working on things constantly so we're always ready to go because we're always there in the terminal and we're at our gate. Right now, we're at our gate in this life. But we need to be ready because our group could be called at any moment to board, to join the Lord, to meet with Him forever. Because <clears throat> we're not coming back here. Will be forever with him. And his final admonition here is to be at peace with him. You don't want to be in the position now of running from God. You don't want to be avoiding God in prayer. You don't want to be avoiding scripture because you're afraid there's something that might change your life in there. You don't want to be avoiding God's people. If there's some problem between you and God right now where you're resisting him or running from him, are not talking to him. That's not being at peace with God. Work on that. Everybody knows what their challenge area is. You work on that. Just like I had to work on paying attention there in the airport so I wouldn't be left behind because I was distracted by other things that I thought were more important. As this new year begins, the greatest things of our life are yet to come. Take health precautions, absolutely. 
But here, Peter says, we are looking forward to the return of Christ. So just like the song says, there's a stirring with this. Has my time come? That should be our mentality. Is this the time that Christ returns? And we will do well. And we're going to get through this next year or the next. Always being ready for Christ's return. It could happen at any moment. And it's going to be a joyful event when it does. We're going to sing a song now to just encourage us to be faithful. To stay the course. To stay at the gate. <laughs> we got to stay at the gate. Not leave and go get an Uber and go somewhere else. We have to stay at the airport, stay at the gate, because that's where Christ will be. We stay faithful to him. Stay in his grace, stay in his goodness, stay in his word. And we will be ready to go when he returns. We need the help of your brothers and sisters to do that. With something you're wrestling with, or you need to be baptized into Christ to truly be ready for Christ's return, to put your full faith and confidence in him. The time is always now to do that and you can do that now however you need to respond don't put it off